called this series the, the Gospel in Motion. And I hope that you have started to see this motion in our studies. In chapters 1 to 7, we have seen the Gospel move in Jerusalem. And as a result, we've seen the Jerusalem church being planted. In chapters 8 to 12, we're starting to see the Gospel move in Judea and Samaria. And in chapters 13 to 20, we will see the gospel move to the, the ends of the earth. And Pedro mentioned last week that you could track this movement geographically through the, the book of Acts with our key verse, which we've seen in chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus said to his disciples that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. But today we find ourselves in chapter 10, and although we have seen isolated instances of Gentiles turning to Christ in faith, for the most part the church is mainly made up of Jewish people. Um, and though they themselves heard the Great Commission, they still thought of salvation as being strictly a, a Jewish phenomenon. But in Acts 10, God is going to change all of this, change their ideas and change their thinking. And that's what we're going to be studying today. The title of my message this morning is Breaking Down Our Prejudices. Breaking Down Our Prejudices. So we're going to read from uh, verse 1, if you would follow with me. Acts chapter 10, verse 1 to verse 33. At Caesarea... There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your arms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the seaside. And when the angel who spoke to him and departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, 
but I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. So when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your arms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa, and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And the Lord add his blessings to the reading of the word. Let's pray together. Father, we pray for your help this morning as we study your word. This is your word. You have inspired this for our edification, our admonition, Lord, for our sanctification. Please, Lord, we pray, help us to hear from you today. Lord, this is a tough passage. Lord, really a message that I would rather not preach. But Lord, we all have prejudices that we need to confront in our own hearts. So I pray, Lord, give us a spirit of humility this morning. And help us to be honest with ourselves, honest with you. That we may confess and repent of these sins. That we may not even realize are keeping us from being more fruitful for the kingdom and for your, for your gospel, Lord. But we want to be a people who love you, who who share your gospel, who love your gospel, who want to be your faithful witnesses of our Savior Jesus. So Lord, I pray if this be for us today, may your Spirit work in us and change us for your glory. In Jesus' name, I ask. Amen. So the ancient Greeks, they divided the human race into two categories. They had the Greeks and the barbarians. Aristotle, who was the famous Greek philosopher, he believed that the world's climate, the world's climate was the reason for so many differences between the Greeks and the barbarians. He explained that those who lived in the cold lands to the, the north had plenty of courage, had plenty of spirit, but little skill and intelligence. And those who lived in the warm south had plenty of skill, plenty of intelligence, plenty of culture, but little spirit and courage. And then he concluded, only the Greeks 
lived in a climate designed by nature to produce the perfectly blended character. Do we have any Greeks here today? <laughs> now, we may laugh at Aristotle's theory, but we're all prone toward prejudice in some form or another. But for God to use us effectively in His purpose, He must break us of our prejudices. And to be prejudiced is to, is to prejudge. That's where the word comes from, prejudice, prejudge. When we judge someone without sufficient information or without enough um, knowledge or understanding. And the story of the gospel spreading beyond Jewish boundaries toward the Gentiles teaches us from the life of Peter that we all have prejudices. We all have inbuilt prejudices that must be broken down if we're going to be effective in the Lord's service. We see even Peter here having these prejudices which we are going to look at this morning. So from verse, two, verse 1 to 16, um, I've broken the sermon up just into two parts today. And the first part is simply God's preparation. God's preparation. And we see it in two ways here in this passage. The first preparation is of the Gentile. Is of the Gentile. In verses 1 to, one to 2, we see that God took note of an honest seeker by the name of Cornelius. Look at verse 1. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. He was a devout man who feared God with all of his household. He gave alms generously to the people and he prayed continually to God. So verse 1 tells us that Cornelius, he was a centurion. He was a soldier in charge of a hundred men. Uh, which would be roughly equivalent um, of an army captain today. Uh, but note particularly his character as we learn about this Gentile. It says in verse 2 that um, he was a devout man. He was a religious man. He was a, a God-fearer, probably meaning that he worshipped the one true God of Israel. Remember we looked at the Ethiopian eunuch. He was also a God-fearer. Even though he wasn't a proselyte, not allowed into the, the temple, he was known as a God-fearer. Um, same as this centurion. He had not become a, a Jewish proselyte. Um, he was, we see, he was unselfish. He was a, a man who gave alms generously, gave to charity. Um, he was a kind person. But we also told in um, verse 22, some more information. Uh, before that, in verse 2 as well, he was a man of prayer. He was a man who was praying continuously. Not just occasionally, a man who was praying continuously, a very devout man. But verse 22, we learn more. When the, the men sent by Cornelius, they, they meet Peter. And verse 22 tells us, and they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, he was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So they said here that he was a just man, which means that he was fair, um, he was not unpredictable like many of the, the Roman officers were at that time, he wasn't cruel like most of the Roman soldiers, he was well spoken of, the Bible says, by all of the Jews, the whole of the Jewish nation, not just by some, he had a good reputation. 
as a reasonable and just man. If ever there was a passage of scripture that shows that a, that a, that a person cannot be saved by his works, it's right here, isn't it? I mean, this man would be a perfect candidate to come to be a member of New Life Church, wouldn't he? He gave alms generously. He prayed earnestly. Um, he was a just man. We would, we would welcome him with open arms and say, please come be a member of our church. But he wasn't saved. He wasn't born again. In every respect, he was, he was a good man, but he was still lost. He was still lost in his sins. In verse 3 to 8, we see that God guides him to a person who could tell him how to be saved, how to be born again, how to worship the true and the, the living God. Verse 3, we read, About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, God spoke to him while he prayed. But then in verse 4, it says, And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your arms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. So we see what's happening here. In God's providence, God is guiding Cornelius to Peter. In verse 7 and 8, we see the description of how Cornelius obeys the angel's instruction and sends two of his, his servants and one of his soldiers to find this Peter that he's been told to find. And then in verse 9 to 16, we see God preparing the Jews. He's now prepared the Gentile, and now he's going to prepare the Jews. Verse 9 to 16, it tells us how Peter goes onto the, the housetop, the, the, like a terrace, very much similar to the architecture that, of many of the homes that we live in. He's on the terrace, and he's praying. And something very unusual happens here. Something very unusual occurs in which God teaches Peter a very important lesson about prejudice. About prejudice. First notice there that Peter was in a trance in verse 11. We see, and he saw the heavens open, and something like a great sheet. This is pretty much a tablecloth, okay? A great tablecloth is descending from the sky and being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him and again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. This didn't happen once, it didn't happen twice, it happened three times. Peter had a prejudice even against different types of foods, but this was a lesson he needed to learn. Um, God told Peter to do something that he had never thought he would ever have to do. Something really unfathomable. He was to eat those animals that he saw on the, the tablecloth. Um, he was to prepare them, eat them, or kill them and eat them. Um, Something very different to what he had been taught his whole life. And he was never allowed, even as a, as a Jew, from his culture to be eating animals that were forbidden in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament. 
But notice Peter's response in verse 14. I find this very, very astonishing. He has the, he has the audacity to say to God, no. <laughs> he has the audacity to say to God, by no means. And then he adds on the end there, Lord. I think this kind of describes a little bit of the character of Peter, which we already know a little bit about. If you remember during Peter's um, earthly, uh, uh, during Jesus' earthly ministry, Peter kind of made a career of rebuking the Lord. And here he was still doing it. Here he was still doing it. Old habits I seem, seem to die hard. But Peter's response, I think, was understandable because he simply could not comprehend. He simply could not understand God instructing him to violate the Old Testament commands against eating unclean animals. And we know a little bit about that in our context, living here in, in an Arab nation. And we know the Jews don't eat pork, they don't eat any shellfish. So this is not something unfamiliar to us. But for Peter, this was something he could not comprehend. But let's consider for a moment what the purpose of this trance was all about. You see, God wasn't really talking to Peter about, about pigs and, and animals. God was talking to Peter about people. He was talking to him about people. He wasn't talking to him about, about ham and, and plants. He was talking to him about humans and, and souls. God was trying to teach Peter that he was breaking down this division between the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul later talks about this in his letter to the Ephesians. He explains in detail. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 with me. Verse 11 where he says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, look at verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So as we've seen, as we've been reading the, the book of Acts and studying it, we've seen this division very clearly. There is a clear division between the Jewish church and the Gentiles at this point. And like I said, there isn't a Gentile church at this time. In chapter 11, we will see the first Gentile church. But here in chapter 10, there's only one Jewish church. So this instruction to Peter, he simply cannot comprehend. He simply cannot understand. And down in verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul continues this, this important instruction. For through Him, we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. And that's what Christ does, isn't it, folks? He breaks down these barriers. He breaks down these walls that separate us. He breaks down these traditions that separate us. And that's what God was trying to teach Peter through this trance. So verse 1 to 16 describes God's preparation to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. 
But our second portion, verses 17 to 33, is a description of God's providence. We see God's providence here clearly in this passage. Um, what do I mean by God's providence? Well, God's providence is defined simply as God's involvement in this world to accomplish His purpose. God's involvement in this world to accomplish His purpose. And we see this throughout the whole Bible. We see this throughout the whole Bible. God's providence, unmistakably, in the story of His story. We see it here in our passage as well. We see it clearly in God's timing. We look at verses 17 to verse 20. Now while Peter was inwardly, inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was, was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So try and picture what's happening here, okay, as we've read this narrative. The moment this trance ends, the moment this trance finishes, the men sent from Cornelius arrive at Peter's house. Now, we'd like to use the word... Um, Coincidence, but I don't believe that there is such a word, not even in the Bible, if you go and look in the Scriptures. And look at this. Coincidence. I don't think so. You know, if you try to have a mathematical probability here, these men accidentally knocking on the door just as Peter's vision ended is, is probably infinitesimally small. I doubt that this was a, a chance occasion. This was clearly God's providence. And God is here preparing. He's preparing the receiver, but He's also preparing the messenger. And He's doing this in this process of Cornelius coming to hear the gospel. He needs to hear the gospel. So He ordains the receiver, He ordains the messenger, and He's even ordaining the time, the time for this gospel to be proclaimed. And that's what we talk about when we mention, when, we, when I use the word providence. This is clearly the providence of God in action. Look at our own lives. Look at your life for a moment. I bet you can see how God has brought certain people and, and circumstances into your life at a time when you were spiritually thirsty and receptive to the truth. I'm sure you can relate to that. That's God's providence. That didn't happen by chance. That didn't happen by luck. This is God's providence. We also see God's providence in the way that He was testing Peter. We see that in verses 23 to, to verse 29. Peter reluctantly goes with the, the messengers, uh, taking the precaution of bringing other people with him. And he goes to meet Cornelius. And there he is at Cornelius' door. And then in verse 27, Peter is faced with another test. Peter is faced with a test from the Lord. Would he hold on to his long-hold traditions and prejudices and, and not go into Cornelius' home? 
because he thought he would be defiled if he goes into this Gentile's home? Or would he obey God and go? Would he walk into this home and fellowship with the Gentile? Verse 27 tells us what he did. As he talked with him, he went in. As he talked with him, he went in. Peter here passes the test. Peter passes the test. He obeys the Lord. He's been instructed with this vision, which he, he's still not fully sure about. But nonetheless, he still obeys the Lord. And he goes and he enters the home. God had prepared the receiver. He had prepared the messenger. And Cornelius had invited all of his friends and all of his neighbors had gathered together as Cornelius puts it in, in verse 33, before God to hear all that Peter had commanded by the Lord. Cornelius was excited to hear this message that was going to be brought to him. And he brings his family. He brings his friends. And right here, what a, what a wonderful situation for Peter to, to come to. God has prepared their hearts. God has prepared him. And here's a situation for God to work situation for God to work. The, the hearts of the people are ready. The speaker is prepared and the message that God is, has commanded to be spoken needs to be given. And as we see, Peter doesn't even get a chance to finish the message that he has prepared. prepared. The Holy Spirit falls upon this um, congregation, this, this group that is meeting together and everyone there get saved. Everyone there is born again. And of course, this was just the beginning of the gospel moving into Gentile territory, as we will see. But the same gospel that saved the apostles was mighty to save the Gentiles. The Gentiles who believed in Jesus. Because of Peter's obedience in putting to death his Prejudice, the gospel now has come to us. The gospel has come to us. We never would have heard the gospel. Think about that. We never would have heard the gospel if the early apostles were not obedient to the message that God had given to them. The message would have stayed in Jerusalem, but it didn't. The gospel has come to us. Peter took a decisive but difficult step that has changed history forever. Verse 24 really paints a wonderful scene of people anticipating the gospel. Peter arrives, he meets Cornelius, and he immediately declares the gospel to him. He evidently had learned his lesson that God wanted him to learn. He did not notice, he did not treat Cornelius as someone who was beyond salvation. Someone who was too bad or too inferior. He did not require Cornelius to submit to Jewish rituals in, in order to experience God's grace. And notice even, Pedro mentioned this last week, when Cornelius bows down to him, he refuses to receive any credit that he, that he, that he might have thought was due. One commentator, John Stott, he, he says, Peter refused both to be treated by Cornelius as he were a God, and he refused to treat Cornelius 
as if he were a dog. Peter made an interesting claim in verse 28 when he says, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Now we know that's not a law in the Bible. I mean, you can search the Old Testament. You won't find that there in the Scriptures. That was a, a cultural tradition that had been taught by the rabbis that forbid, that forbade, which is the right word, <laughs> that forbade Jews to interact with the Gentiles. Evidently, even as an apostle, Peter was influenced by this unbiblical cultural tradition. And we would do well to examine our hearts in this regard. We're going to spend the rest of the time looking at some application. Because I think all of us, in some way or another, have been influenced by our cultures. Some way or another, been influenced by unbiblical teachings. You know, South Africa is infamous for its former apartheid policy, which was thoroughly unbiblical. And during this time, when I was a, uh, a teenager, I heard a, a man once invite his friend to a church in Pretoria. Pretoria is the political capital of South Africa. And this one church in this white neighborhood had a black pastor. This black pastor, he was a godly man, he was a gifted speaker, and he had invited his friend to come and listen to this black pastor. And the man looked at his friend and answered with the following, What could a white man possibly learn from a black man? Let's take some time to consider some practical applications for our lives that we can draw from this, from this passage of Scripture. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Yes, Pastor Gareth, you're right. Most people are prone to prejudice, but thank God that is not one of my weaknesses. I'm very unbiased, I'm very accepting, I'm, I'm very loving, especially since I've moved to the UAE. But the fact is, even committed Christians, even godly men like Peter, had prejudices. Like Peter, we're probably blind to those prejudices until the Lord shocks us into seeing them. Now in South Africa, we call the we used to call the sin of prejudice apartheid. In North America, it is known as racism. In Italy, it is known as faction. In the United Kingdom, it is known as class system. In India, it is called the caste system. And many of you know, my wife and I, we lived in India for 15 years, ministered there for 15 years. And prejudice was very much part of the culture there as we got to know it. Even in the churches, even in the churches, it was not uncommon to hear, to hear Christians make comments about other children's complexion and about their appearance. One dear Christian lady who I believe was genuinely saved, an older lady in our church, told me honestly that she thought God had blessed Europeans because of their skin color, their light skin color, and had cursed those who had a dark skin color. If you watch any Indian television, 
you will definitely see an advert for Fair and Lovely. <laughs> fair and Lovely, it's a skin product that's supposed to make your skin all fair and, and lovely. And all they're doing is promoting this prejudice in their own culture. We all tend to group people, isn't it, by, by race. We group people by their gender. We group people by their occupation. And we, and we pigeonhole individuals and we prejudge them. We put them into these groups. This is the sin of prejudice. And it needs to be broken down if we are going to be effective in the Lord's service. Peter. Think about Peter for a moment. Peter easily, he could have thought, you know, centurions are Roman soldiers, and they are, are wicked, and they had a reputation, they were sensual, they were worldly, they were pagans. He could have badly misjudged Cornelius. And Cornelius, on the other hand, he could have thought, well, I'm, what am I supposed to learn from an uneducated Jewish man who is staying with a, a tanner? And we all know what a tanner is from last week, remember? Am I supposed to go meet him? He probably has never been outside of, of Palestine. What could he teach a well-traveled Roman like me? He would have missed God's blessings. When I first came here, I wondered how many, how many black South Africans would come and listen to a, a white South African teach him from God's Word. Maybe they, maybe they had the same prejudice. But like Peter, most of us use the Bible to justify our prejudices. We take the Bible and, and we read it through the lens of our, of our prejudice. And after all, isn't it? The Bible warned Israel about associating with the pagan idolaters of the nations around them. The Bible showed them that they would be contaminated by contacting these, these Gentiles, these uncircumcised dogs as they were called. And Peter and the other apostles had heard Jesus give the Great Commission on more than one occasion. But yet up to this time, they were still primarily reaching the Jews. They probably thought that reaching those in the uttermost part of the earth referred to Jewish families who had, who had scattered. They were going to reach the Jews who had scattered. Not, not the Gentiles, not the uncircumcised dogs. And these Jews and these apostles, they could, they could quote chapter and verse of the Old Testament to back up their prejudice. I think sometimes we're guilty of that as well. Now don't miss my point. I'm not saying that we should be tolerant or accepting of practices that the Bible condemns. I'm not saying that we must practice sin so that we can reach sinners. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we should join in parting with sinful people as if there's no difference between them and us. But I am suggesting that if we do not face our prejudice, and if we do not allow God to, to root them out, we will not be effective in reaching cross-culturally and personal barriers with the gospel. If you are prejudiced against black people, if you are prejudiced against white people, how will you reach them with the gospel? If you hate homosexuals, I'm talking about the people, I'm not talking about the sin. How will you lead them to Jesus Christ? 
if you steer clear of young people who have tattoos, who have body piercings, how can God use you to bring the gospel to them? In an article written for the Nine Marks Journal, the author asked a panel of pastors and theologians the, the following questions. Is there a race problem in the American church? And I think the answers here for the American church are very similar to our Western church. The question is, are whites missing it and why? And what implications does this have for the church's proclamation of the gospel? Very important questions. And here are some of the answers. Many white evangelicals are more loyal to their culture than they are to the gospel. Many white evangelicals are more loyal to their culture than they are to the gospel. I think that is so true of the former apartheid South Africa. I hope it's not true today. But I remember reading Mahatma Gandhi's autobiography. He was invited to go to a, to a Methodist church in South Africa. And um, he had been reading the Gospels. He was interested in what Jesus was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And he wanted to go and inquire from the pastor about this Gospel message. And when he arrived, he was told by the people at the door, he wasn't allowed to worship with him. He needs to go and worship with people of his own color. I mean, that church is going to answer to God, isn't it, one day, those people? But how many other people have turned people away because they are more loyal to their culture than they are to the gospel? Another pastor in this panel answered with these words. He said, the spread of the gospel will continue to be hindered by the sin of racism. We are quick to declare the, the scriptures to be the final court of appeal for what we believe and practice. But there is a, a noticeable inconsistency between our rhetoric and our behavior. Between our rhetoric means our, our, our talk, our discussion, and our behavior. We have muzzled the gospel so that it can fit within our cultural, racial, and religious traditions. We have muzzled the gospel so that it can fit within our cultural, racial, and religious traditions. Can this be said of you today? Have you muzzled the gospel so that it can fit within your cultural and racial and religious traditions? And can this be said of New Life Church? And I pray to God that the, the answer is, is no. And we have such a wonderful opportunity in this country to proclaim the gospel to every nation. And just look around you and see how many people are in this room from different nations. I think it's a travesty. I still think it's not what God wants to have a, have a church that is just made up of Americans. To have a church that's just made up of, of Filipinos. To have a church that's just made up of South Africans. To have a church that's just made up of, of Indians. I don't think that's how God wants the gospel to spread. Heaven is going to be full of gospel worshippers from every tribe 
and every nation. And the church on earth really should be no difference. In Revelation chapter 5, we have a, a rare description of heaven. And in the scene, the four living creatures and the 24 elders are, are falling down before the Lamb. What are they saying? Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God, from every tribe, from every language, from every people, and from every nation. The gospel is for every nation, folks. The gospel is for every tribe. It's not just for us four and no more. I'm praying that we will soon get a, get a larger hall so that we can expand. The gospel is not just for us four and no more. Because God is worthy. He is worthy. It tells us there, He is the one who took the scroll and opened its seal. He was the one who was slain. He was the one who gave His life as a ransom for our sins. And that is why we proclaim the gospel. Not just to ourselves, not just to our own community, not just to our own culture, but to the ends of the earth. Because He is worthy. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen? Amen? Let me challenge you this week. Invite somebody from a different culture to your home for dinner. There's your challenge for the week. Invite somebody that you've never invited before from this church to your home to talk about how worthy Jesus is. Let's talk about how God blesses you this week for that. Let's ask the Lord to reveal our prejudices. Let's ask the Lord to, to break down our prejudices. Let's ask the Lord to help us to respond in, in repentance so that God would use us effectively for His kingdom purposes. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it is indeed sharp. You know, Lord, it is a two-edged sword. It cuts the darkness. It pierces the soul. But we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for that. We pray that you, Lord, with your word today, would show us these areas that we need to repent of for the sake of the gospel. Lord, if we are not committed to the gospel, if we don't love the gospel, then this message will make no sense at all to any of us. If we are not thankful for the gospel this morning, then we are comfortable to live in our sin and our prejudice. It doesn't bother us. But Lord, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of your name, please, Lord, break down these prejudices so that we would be fruitful, that we would be effective witnesses of the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because, Lord, at the end of the day, you are indeed worthy. Help us, Lord, to bow the knee to you today. You are worthy of our praise. Help us to respond in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.